0: Want to be a part of the conversation? Then let us know on the TNT Radio interactive live chat room at TNTradio.live. Lighting the fuse for freedom. Today's news talk, TNT Radio. From climate change to energy and environmental matters, you're listening to Unleashed with Mark Morano on today's news talk radio, TNT.
1: Welcome to Unleashed with Mark Morano on TNT. All right, I got good news. We're winning. We're winning the battle of hearts and minds on the issue of climate, the Great Reset, I've already told you about how the EU is backing down to the farmers' protests, how UK Prime Minister Richie Sunak is backing away from all the green agenda, how automakers are backing away from EV mandates. Yesterday, we had a major vote in the United States Congress with the House of Representatives run by Republicans to overturn (laughs) President Joe Biden's natural gas restrictions. Of course, it'll die in the Senate, which is controlled by Democrats, but there's a movement on that. And we're finding even polling of young people is showing more and more skepticism. John Kerry, our climate envoy, departing now and being replaced by John Podesta. John Kerry is leaving the U.S. climate envoy to go to uh, work on the Biden campaign because he thinks that's more important. I, I don't know. It doesn't make any sense to me, but that's the story they're sticking with. John Kerry is now upset that millions of people around the world are not buying his climate scam. Uh, And he says it's lies, distortions, and disinformation. And my favorite, Vivek Ramaswamy, John Kerry's asked to respond to what he sees Vivek saying, who is spot on. So let's play clip one and have a little fun because John Kerry's worried you don't believe the climate lies.
2: U.S. climate envoy John Kerry focused on rallying global efforts to tackle climate change. Irritated, though, by the sentiments expressed closer to home. Let us be honest as Republicans. I'm this from a Republican Party candidate in a debate on the Fox News channel. The climate
3: change agenda is a hoax.
4: Unfortunately, we have people around the world who are proselytizing lies and distortions uh, and non-scientific information. The disinformation is a problem for us. It's really costly, it's very dangerous, and it's wrong.
2: Extreme events around the world made worse by climate change suggest he is right. Some now worried existing targets are not achievable. Bill Gates is among those who have said that limiting global warming to 1.5 degrees is, is out of reach. Do you believe that 1.5 is still a realistic or even helpful goal for the international
4: community? I'm convinced it's a helpful goal because every tenth of a degree that you go beyond that is extremely costly, extremely damaging, and perhaps, you know, fully catastrophic. Okay,
1: I'll try to unpack this as quickly as possible. First of all, that was Sky News, uh, just mainstream corporate news with You know, not as bad normally as like the BBC or uh some of the other mainstream outlets, but that reporter was clearly in on the oh climate change is bad. I love John Kerry's reaction. I mean, this they're worried. John Kerry acknowledging people around the world aren't buying it, and John Kerry doubling down with this one point one degree, one point five degrees. That is all total horse bleep from beginning to end. We know. From the climate gate release emails that what john Kerry's is referring to we must limit the Earth's temperature to two degrees celsius i'll do 1.5 degrees i'll do one degree all these politicians grandstanding like they're at an auction bidding who's going to be the most earth virtue signalist i'll commit to this i pledge to keep the earth i pledge to keep the polar ice caps um the top UN scientist Phil Jones admitted in the ClimateGate emails that the whole idea of one point five two degrees Celsius temperature goals were quote pulled from thin air, that there was no science, that these were political statements designed to so politicians could rally the public around some nebulous goal. That's all it is. Don't ever fall for that and people aren't falling for it. And God bless Vivek Ramaswamy for being so articulate. It is absolutely, climate change is absolutely, the climate agenda is absolutely a hoax. Climate change itself is not a hoax because the climate's always changing. The question is, what is mankind's influence? Can you even tease it out from natural variability? And you can't. And everything else is based on scary predictions by unverified computer models that don't account for half the variability in nature. And the UN, top UN scientist Jim Renworth has admitted that. And other scientists like Kevin Trenbrith from the United States, UN scientist, also says that the, the the climate models are not predictions. They're merely emission scenarios. So the whole thing is a, is a stack of cards. John Kerry now being reduced to saying that people are lying and distorting disinformation. And of course, they want to shut that disinformation down. They want to shut it down and silence us. And by the way, as well, I have you here. Uh of course I do have you here, but we have Steve Gorham joining us uh later today, the author. Uh, And he's going to be talking, he's the executive director of the Climate Science Coalition of America, author of four books. Uh, and his next book is called The Next Big Climate Scare. Well, cl- Counting Climate Deaths. That was his article coming up. His next book is called Green Breakdown, The Coming Renewable Energy Failure. But I particularly want to talk to him about The Next Big Climate Scare, Counting Climate Change Deaths, because that's a beat I've been on since 2020 when COVID hit, uh, and they wanted to add climate change as a cause of death on death certificates. So he'll be joining us, Steve Gorham, climate skeptic, author, and I think you'll enjoy him. It's going to be Continuing some of these themes here, which I'm going to present here. Uh, Okay. I was asked, I was on Fox again, and I have some clip here. This is me on Fox News talking about the EV mandates and the EV safety issues and the fact that EV owners are getting to skate. They don't have to pay the 18, I think it's 18.2 or 18.4 cent federal gas tax because they're recharging, even though they're recharging on a fossil fuel grid. Their cars are inordinately heavier, sometimes up to 2,200 2, pounds heavier between a Ford electric, Ford pickup, and a non-electric, 18, 1,200 for smaller car differences, which creates weight imbalances and they have safety on the road. And they're chewing up highways with this extra weight, ramps. Parking garages, and there, there's a whole movement now to get EV users to pay these fees. Not to mention all the subsidies and tax breaks and mandates and banning their competition, in gas-powered cars, which you know disproportionately help them. But here I am on Fox News. This is clip five, talking about the insane green regulations on EVs and how they are, you know, how how unfair, essentially, and makes no sense. This is.
5: Well, look who's back. Climate Depot publisher Mark Moreno. Mark, it's good to see you. Okay, the president. You know how he's spending $3 trillion to fix U.S. roads and bridges and infrastructure? What do you make of these engineers writing for Structure magazine saying that all those heavy electric cars? that the president demands we all buy, it's going to tear up U.S. infrastructure, roads, highways, bridges and parking garages because they're too heavy. They weigh much rather. They weigh heavier than gas cars. What do you think?
1: I think it's a very, very valid point. Keep in mind, you know, the average uh, smaller car can be up somewhat 1,500 to 1,000 pounds heavier in the EV version. In the case of the pickup trucks, it's almost 2,000 pounds. This is putting stress on parking garages, exit ramps, highways, and the 8.0. $0.15 $0.15 cent a gallon federal gasoline tax is not paid by these electric car drivers. So not only are they getting to skate on that, but remember, when they buy the electric cars in the first place, it's through massive mandates and subsidies from the federal government. So they're getting uh, the electric cars are getting a free ride on both the b- purchasing and the driving and all the fees and taxes on the other end. So this is a situation where we have to correct. There's a lot of people working on correcting it. But the biggest thing with electric cars, of course, is we're being forced they're being forced upon us and you know if you have a car that's tearing up our highway they're not paying anything to keep the maintenance and they're the primary you know additional stress to these highways you know the bottom line is you don't outlaw the competition and that's what the biden administration is doing through unelected bureaucracy
5: and there's another issue too i mean don't electric car batteries themselves they weigh like something like a thousand pounds gas engines they weigh up to like 60 pounds six zero Doesn't that make electric cars more dangerous in car crashes? And also, don't they have a lower center of gravity than gas cars? Couldn't that make them more deadly on impact, causing more passenger injuries?
1: Yes, it can and would and does. That's a whole
5: nother issue, especially with the
1: whole trend in recent years to make the gas-powered cars, oh, eco-friendly, light, the smallest possible, the smart cars. And now you have these big, heavy EVs, and it's the disproportionate balance of the two cars hitting. So you're going to have a higher death rate, higher injury rate. And, of course, I'm laying out the whole case against EVs. This is, of course, what John Kerry was trying to mandate. You get people scared of climate, You get them afraid, you get them in emergency crisis mode, and then you can force these insane public policy. And by the way, everything I just mentioned with these EVs, these are not votes of Congress. These are corporate government collusion. These are unelected bureaucrats. These are executive orders. These are uh, administrative agencies forcing this on the American people. Same thing with the restrictions on meat and agriculture and net zero. The the public's not clamoring for this. There's no vote in Parliament. Let's ban the gas powered car. I mean, there may have been a few, but that's generally not even in California. They never uh, voted on that. So all of these things, no one's ever thought through. This next one, I'm gonna show you footage. The discarded remains of a windmill farm In Queensland, Australia, when people say, go green, save the planet, I'm putting a windmill, I'm investing in windmills, and windmills will keep the planet healthy and happy. Keep in mind, all these products, rare earth mining, the assembly, the construction, all coming from China, we're empowering China. Uh, But look what happens for the recycling. Now, we were talking about recycling human hair not too long ago. But look what happens when you have to face the end of the life of wind farms. Take a look at this footage, clip four.
6: I'm coming through here because I've been told that there are old turbine blades that have been just dumped here. Here they are. This is renewable energy, by the way. Remember that word renewable? There's there's nothing much renewable about these things. They, they, these are old turbine blades, quite short ones actually, I mean they look big but they're some of the early 20 meters I think and um, now they've worn out you can see, You look at the quality of it, there's not much life left in that. Can you recycle it? <laughs> Good luck. Great beached whales sitting here, these massive, not that massive compared to the ones we've seen in action today so when they run out, of course, what are we going to do with those? Same same deal, right? <laughs> just sit here. This tells the story. So $1.4 billion for the Chelumban wind farm. And in 15 years, they'll just be sitting here like this. And this is the dark
1: side of the green agenda that no one wants to talk about. And a very similar situation with solar panels. And of course, it's a similar situation with EV batteries. There is no panacea of energy. You need to look at everything, warts and all. And that includes fossil fuels, obviously. That was all we've ever heard of are the warts of fossil fuels. You never hear about the benefits, which are huge and overwhelming. Uh, but it's good to see this kind of coverage happening on news and social media, that people are seeing the discarded... Uh, Wind, solar, green energy, um, things that are happening. It's just, it has to be fought back. Has to be fought back. We have to make sense of this. Okay, I have here, this is uh, Tucker Carlson. We're going to shift gears because this is part of the Great Reset. It's part uh, of my book. And this is the idea of, instead of domestic crises like a virus or climate change, or we have domestic terrorists here, it's a foreign policy crisis where these faraway places like Ukraine and like other places that the United States bombed, bombed, uh, are always mentioned as a crisis and we have to give up our liberty, our freedom. This is what we have with the Patriot Act, with uh, the turning into a uh, biosecurity state with surveillance by our own government where our national intelligence agencies turned against us. But this leads to my next thing about, I'm going to be talking about paying with palm scans and then a, leading to the WHO pandemic. This is clip six, Tucker Carlson explaining why he objects to U.S. foreign policy of recent year, of the last couple of decades, probably at least since, 19, since the end of the Cold War. But let's hear clip six. You know, I've got four draft age children. So if you're playing recklessly fast and loose with their lives, then I have a right to despise you. And I do. So if you're Nikki Haley who's running for president or Ben Shapiro or half the people I see on television casually mentioning the possibility of nuclear war or sending Americans to fight in the Middle East or in any way involving us in a war that has nothing to do with prosperity and peace at home, nothing in other words to do with us Americans, then I have a right to call you out and be really offended because it's my family. They live here. It's not a
7: joke to me. There's nothing abstract about it.
1: Yes, and of course, we've had Nikki Haley wanting to bomb Iran, many US senators chiming in, uh, Lindsey Graham, Tim Scott, uh, very uh, just promoting, like almost instant war for the United States that would go on, Afghanistan went on, what, two decades, Iraq. Uh, This is the military-industrial complex pushing a lot of this. Now, on the same token, the same people supporting that, this is the ruling class elite, are supporting stuff like this. This is a fluff piece now about grocery shopping in Silicon Valley, California. I've been to Silicon Valley several times, and it's by one of the, the heartbed of the wealthiest liberal enclaves in the world, actually. And people there are just not grounded in reality and have no problem with going along with great reset style stuff. Here they are, someone bragging about the convenience of paying with a palm scan hooked to your credit card. In other words, you would have a scan embedded. Let's play clip two.
4: This is me casually walking to get my groceries, but it's not as casual as it might seem. Let me show you what I mean by that. I got everything that I needed. I got my fruit, I got my yogurts, mint tea, and now it's time to pay. Well, because we're in Silicon Valley, I'm not going to pay with my credit card. I'm going to pay with my palm. The thing is, there's this new technology that lets you connect your credit card and your ID to your palm so that you don't have to carry any credit cards with you anymore. You don't even have to have your phone with you. This This is my total, this is my palm, this is me scanning it, and I would later be able to see my purchases in my Amazon account. Do you think it's convenient or just another way to track us everywhere?
1: She seems pretty lighthearted about it. Uh, I think I'll say this: Yeah, it's just another way—not just to track you, but imagine you go put your palm up, and it says, "Sorry, this purchase cannot be made until you remove the hate speech or the disinformation that the government has detected on your social media page." You rejected the idea that COVID vaccines are safe and effective. You rejected climate change. You have not bought an EV yet. You have passed your gas uh, gas gasoline ration for this month. You have put your thermostat too warm in the winter and violated the government's climate emergency rules. You have bought an airline ticket you were unauthorized to do because it wasn't a family emergency. Therefore, your purchase cannot be made. This is our future. And there's also talk, and they've had this in Sweden, uh, people pushing this that embed either in a barcode your vaccine record on you uh, or a barcode uh, or eye uh, opening for all sorts of purchases as well. This is frightening stuff, which leads me to our final clip. This is clip three, Romanian MP. We've had her on this. We've shown clips of her before. She's really good. Christiana Terez. She gives a speech on the why the WHO pandemic treaty must be rejected because everything I just showed you, foreign policy, climate change the technocracy, the digital turning our bodies into computer scanners and linked to everything. This is gonna be part of saving the planet from viruses under a WHO pandemic treaty, climate change as well. So this is uh, a member of parliament in Romania, Cristina Teres from the EU, warning us about the pandemic treaty coming up in May of this
3: year. People all across the world are hungry, are thirsty for freedom. They want their own officials to be accountable and to respond in front of the public. So the alternative that was presented to us with this pandemic, this was the best opportunity for some elites that are not elected by anybody, who are not accountable to anybody, to pretty much hijack day by day, month by month, year by year, more and more of our rights, more of, more of our assets, because we see that happening right now in many countries, you saw what happened in Canada. For example, when the truckers protested against Trudeau, he ordered that their bank accounts be blocked, and that happened. And at that point, we did not even have, the, or they did not even have in, in Canada, the digital currency. Imagine what will happen when on your phone you will have the digital wallet, the digital currency, the digital vaccination certificate. So we saw what happened. And now, just imagine in your worst case scenario, what will happen if we allow the WHO to have so much power over our states, over our governments, our elected officials, and even our, over our judiciary.
1: And that, again, was Romanian member of parliament in the EU, Christian Tedes. He's spot on. He lays it out exactly as it should be. It's someone from Romania who understands the tyrannical threat that the World Health Organization represents. Generations, 40 years of living under Soviet uh, totalitarian domination. The Eastern European nations truly do understand the horrors that befall the rest of us in the West, who are just going merrily along and thinking, "Oh, the who's about public health?" And well, Bill Gates is a—he's a—he's uh, a philanthropist. He really cares. Yeah, yeah. He's a philanthrocapitalist, is what the RFK Jr. best described him as. Somehow, by giving away billions, he makes billions more. It's kind of—it's a unique way to be a. Uh, a donor or a, uh, uh, a philanthropist is to be a money-making scheme. Anyway, that is important. And as I said, I'm still trying to work. I've not gotten credentials yet. I'm trying to meet the deadlines and apply, and we'll see how that goes to the World Health Pandemic Assembly, which includes discussion of the pandemic treaty in May of 2024. All right. When we come back, we got to take a break. We're going to be joined by Steve Gorham, Executive Director of the Climate Science Coalition of America and author of the new book, Green Breakdown The Coming Renewable Energy Failure. Uh, which just came out a few months ago. This is Mark Morano on Unleashed on TNT. We'll be right back. TNT's Mark Morano. Here's the bottom line. Higher CO2, which allegedly is causing catastrophic climate change, has led to the greening of planet Earth. 2016, NASA acknowledges this. There have been multiple studies, a recent study. Deserts are shrinking, forests are growing, plant life is, is increasing. And here's the biggest part, crop yields are through the roof, through a combination of the CO2 greening of the earth and also technological advancements in farming, high yield agriculture, the green revolution, etc. But the problem is not, as she said, the farmers aren't protesting because, oh, things are bad because of climate change. And that's why we need more net zero rules to make things better with our climate. No. They're protesting because the climate regulations are what are killing the farmers, not climate
0: change. Mark Morano, on today's News Talk TNT.
7: (laughs) My baby's back from the West Coast. (laughs) Hear those pictures that you asked for for your school project? First day of school, cute as a button. (laughs) (laughs)
2: So long ago.
7: Oh, here's Grandma Florence after that flood wiped out the whole neighborhood. Sometimes I just cannot believe all the storms we've gone through here. I can only hope that we'll be able to leave this house to you one day, baby. You're our legacy. Planning for these disasters will make sure we're safe and it's the best way to protect that legacy.
4: Ah, those <laughs> bees smell heavenly.
7: Mm-hmm. Give mom a little credit. <laughs> you know what? We should make an emergency communication plan. That way we're ready this year. Oh,
4: great At my
7: dorm, we have emergency kits for earthquakes and wildfires, but I'm sure there's something more local I can send you with the link. Okay, smart. I'm coming to stay smart. with you guys.
0: Protect your legacy. Plan for natural disasters today. Visit ready.gov forward slash plan. Today's News Talk Radio. I do a lot of streaming radio. I do a lot of free streaming. <laughs> TNTradio.live.
1: Welcome back to Unleashed with Mark Morano on TNT. All right, joining us now is Steve Gorham, the Executive Director of the Climate Science Coalition of America, and the author of the new book, Green Breakdown, The Coming Renewable Energy Failure. Uh, Welcome again to the program to Unleashed with Mark Morano, Steve.
8: Great to join you again.
1: Great, all right, well, since I think we last talked, We've had now, let's start simply, we've had declarations of the hottest year in Earth's history, or at least, I I think CNN said last July was the hottest in 100,000 years. Uh, Is the Earth boiling up? Are we all going to die? Let's start with that premise. The media has really been hyping this. A lot of uh, scientists have been hyping it.
8: Yeah, that came out, A guy said the hottest month, 120,000 years to study. Of yeah. course, it went to NPR and CNN and all sorts of, and, and it wasn't challenged by just about anybody, but uh, just flat out wrong. Uh, we have had uh, many, many times in the past when temperatures have been warmer than today, uh, a thousand years ago when the Vikings settled southwest Greenland and they built a colony there and they they farmed and they had trees that were six meters high. If you go to that site today, there's nothing but scrub grasses uh, 2,000 years ago when the Romans conquered the Mediterranean in those little sco- little skirts, the Roman soldiers, they were uh, growing olives in Germany at that time. And I like to point out the uh, the Rhone Glacier in Switzerland, uh, central Switzerland, wall-to-wall glacier between mountains. The Rhone River flows out of it into France and down in the Mediterranean. And that glacier has been receding for about a century, but they, when it recedes, they find wagon wheels and horse bridles and yeah. uh Uh, 4,000-year-old wood, and scientists have have said that this valley was ice-free for the majority of the last 10,000 years, so today's temperatures are not abnormally warm, despite uh, headlines from the United Nations saying uh, uh, the earth is boiling and a lot of other things. It's just, uh, if you hear it in the press about climate change, it's most likely wrong.
1: Wow, well, what did you, let me also get your comment because this is also big news. And Michael Mann just had an op-ed in the New York Times the other day, basically saying there's no time for any misinformation, disinformation on climate. We had the Mark Stein, uh, Ram Simberg versus Michael Mann. Michael Mann had sued them for defamation. And of course, part of it was the, the trial turned into a, 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 a expose on Michael Mann's hockey stick, which as you just mentioned, Steve, uh, was a uh, denies all of the stuff you just said. It denies there was yeah. ever even a medieval warm period. If you look at the chart, it's the same temperature as the the little ice age. There's no difference. What did you make yeah. of that court case, that verdict, and what kind of implications do you think? Are you now more afraid to criticize the science and or any <laughs> of the top climate alarmists?
8: Well, I try to be careful what I say about people, but it's clear. Uh, and you know, I I tend I was not uh, intimately involved in the trial. Yeah. I tend to be careful trying to challenge what a what a jury has said. Uh, but it's yeah. clear to me that that uh, Dr. Mann was wrong about many many things. Matter of fact, there was congressional hearings I think about uh, about a decade ago, and they pointed out all the problems with his hockey stick and how it it uh, missed all the evidence in the past. So, uh, and there's just, you know, I mentioned the Switzerland thing, but there are oceans of evidence that says it was warmer. Uh, in my first book, Climatism, I have a picture of a, a a tree stump, a white spruce stump in the Northwest Territory of Canada. And that stump is a hundred kilometers north of the tree line today.
0: <laughs>
8: yeah. And it's uh, the radiocarbon dated it was about 5,000 years old. So 5,000 years ago is warmer than it is today naturally but there are just many, many pieces of evidence. Uh, but you do have to watch what you say about people when you criticize them. So I, I try and stick to the facts whenever possible.
1: Yeah, and uh, so what, Mike, what they're trying to do now, let's just talk a little bit about communication A climate. The UN a year ago, roughly a year ago, before the UN summit in Egypt said, we own the science on climate change and we're partnering with Google uh, to let the world know it. So, that, you know, basically when you look for UN, say you want to look up medieval warm period or say you want to look up Greenland, it's going to come back with UN cl- sort of tainted Michael Mann style well, claims. Um, how important is that control of information in this climate debate? And how do you battle that? Have you had a lot of battles with censorship on media, on TV, through your books? Uh, how big of a problem is that for those who has, who dissent from this Al Gore, Michael Mann, UN narrative to get the message out.
8: Well, I think it is powerful. the The media plays a powerful role in all of this, and most of the media uh, is spouting uh, articles all the time. Uh, and And these scientists do these studies. One just came out today that's saying that that weather, erratic weather, is going to cause more locust infestations. <laughs> So, uh, I mean, these things come out all the time and they're broadly, uh, and, and they make great, great headlines for the media. They sell a lot of copy. Um, I have not had too many problems with uh, with censorship. Uh, occasionally, I find that that my articles, uh, uh, you know, are a little bit hard to find. I did have, uh, a number of years ago though, We uh, I worked with the Heartland Institute and we sent uh, my first book, the second book, The Mad, Mad, Mad World of Climatism to a lot of universities and there was a picture uh, from San uh, Jose State of the head of the Department of Climate Science holding a match under my book, and that went on the internet. That was kind of interesting. <laughs> there were 20 articles used, uh, uh, that written about that incident. And they took it down and apologized. But, but uh, there, is a, there is a powerful trend, uh, and, and many, many scientists have complained that it's very tough for them to publish scientific papers because uh, the scientific literature is against what they're saying. And if you look at a, if you look at a college student, for example, who is going into the sciences, uh, they can take one of two rows, uh, roads they can uh, they can conform to the theory of data to uh, get to tenure and get their papers published and all the rest. They can oppose that. and it's very, very tough. So, uh, most of the skeptical scientists I've found have, have already uh, gotten tenure at universities or actually they've retired from their company or from the university. So the, the media is very, very powerful.
1: They are, yeah. Now, uh, let's talk about your your in your new book, uh, The Green Breakdown, Coming Renewable Energy Failure. You talk about electric vehicles. How is that experiment going? Remember, we didn't vote for this. U.S. Congress never voted <laughs> to ban gas powered cars. This is coming through... Unelected bureaucracy of the EPA, through executive orders, through corporate government collusion. Yep. How is this EV revolution coming along right now? How do you see it evolving? And do you see them backing away? Do you see it going forward? What's the future of gas-powered cars?
8: Well, it just hit a speed bump last year, as I think you know, the EV revolution. Uh, there are many, many problems. Ford and GM said they were their uh, demand was way down. They were piling up on the lots at the dealers. There's been a dealer's revolt uh, from those those uh, big firms. I think uh, GM is acquiring dealerships that won't won't sell EVs, uh, and and Ford is is letting them letting them sit. But about half the Ford dealers don't want to don't want to put EVs out there. And we've seen a big slowing in demand. Uh, sales of EVs in California were down uh, this last quarter for the first time in history, and the issues are just piling up. Uh, the early adopter phase is over. You know, you want a second car, you got that cool Tesla. You got that for a second car. But there aren't too many people that can afford that and do that. If yeah. you're in an apartment, you don't want to run a charging line over the public walkway. That doesn't work very well. And then we just had this black, black eye in Chicago from uh, all of these charging stations where they're pushing EVs around. Got down to pretty close to zero, and uh, they couldn't get their electric vehicles charged. And there's a new quip in Chicago now. And it it says that uh, 90% of all electric vehicles manufactured are still on the road, and 10% of them have made it home. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. (laughs) So that's that's kind of the the thing. Insurance is another issue, too. You know, Hertz uh, uh, bought 100,000 Teslas or committed to (laughs) 100,000. And they they are now, uh, they've sold a third of those back or or put a third in the retail markets. But the price of EVs last year, used EVs dropped 30% in the U.S. market, quite a crash. And so uh, Hertz and a lot of these other folks that have gone in for EVs are losing big money on their electric vehicles. They used to make a lot of money from from first renting cars and then selling them in the used market, and they can't do that with the the EVs. So uh, there are a bunch of issues piling up. Again, I'm not against EVs. Uh, but the idea that we're, we we uh, need to force everybody to buy one to stop the oceans from rising that that is uh, modern superstition.
1: What about okay? First of all, fire hazard, and what about the weight difference? There was a recent uh, movement, I guess, in the GOP Congress and other state legislators to get EV users because they don't. I guess they don't. They don't pay the eighteen point two or four cent a gallon federal gas tax. But right. apparently, according to road engineers and maintenance, that the heavier EVs, and you can have an Ford pickup be two thousand over 2,000 pounds heavier, the EV version versus the gas-powered, are tearing up highways, parking garages, exit ramps, and not only are they getting a free ride on the purchase part with massive subsidies and mandates and tax credits, but on the gas tax side, they're getting a free ride on the roads. Do you see that as a yep. big problem? And uh, how, does that, how does that get resolved? Well, it is. And
8: the states are catching up. They're imposing fees now for EV licenses. EV should actually be paying more for road taxes because, as you say, they're about, because of the battery, they're about 50% heavier. And if you look at those pickup trucks, it's really amazing. Uh, the uh the Ford F one fifty is pretty heavy vehicle, a gasoline car yeah. about forty five hundred pounds, but the EV version is sixty five hundred. The Rivian is over seven thousand, and the Chevy EV is eighty five hundred pounds. If That's... if Quint were here, if Quint were here from Jaws, he'd say four tons of them. You got a four ton pickup yeah. truck there, and there's some there's articles about uh story uh, about uh, parking garages not being structurally strong enough for electric vehicles. And they just did uh, road tests uh, with these uh, these barriers, you know, the barriers that are along the road to keep cars from going into the ditches, and they found that they're not strong enough uh, for for an EV pickup, for example. EV pickup hits it; they go right through it. So uh, again, that's just another one of the one of the little bit of disadvantages for electric vehicles: uh, tires as well. There's a lot of articles about people that are are replacing their tires after about fifteen thousand miles or so. There's a lot of tire wear because of the heavier weight. So, so uh, again, EVs are coming, uh, but let's not let's not be forcing everybody to buy them, and let's not uh, force the automakers to stop producing gasoline vehicles.
1: What do you see as the future? I mean, you can't. I know you can, You're not a, a palm reader or a crystal ball, but what do you see as the future of gas powered cars? I mean, do you see in 50 years them being obsolete? Do you see them being phased out, or are they something that's always going to be part of our world?
8: Yeah, my prediction is by about 2050, we're still going to have, uh, EVs are only going to penetrate about 20% of world markets is my estimate. Uh, you know, it's kind of a seat of the pants thing, but that that's still, we're, we've got about a billion and a half uh, uh, vehicles on the road today. About 2% of those are electric vehicles. Uh, that's going to go up to about 3 billion by 2050. 20% is a pretty big market for EVs, 600 million vehicles. So, so there's a big market there. Uh, but I I just don't think it's going to get it, it's going to take a long time for EVs to replace uh, uh, gasoline vehicles. Uh, by the way, trucks are another thing too. Trucks are are uh, uh, electric trucks are very very heavy, very very expensive. Uh, places like California are pushing people to adopt those, but that's going to have a very very tough go. Uh, and I think the the heavy trucks, for example, are going to remain uh, diesel for a long long time.
1: All right, now you've been warning of the, what you call the coming green breakdown. Uh, tell us yeah. all the elements involved in this breakdown. What's the timetable? And are you implying that somehow the Western world is going to abandon net zero? Is this going to just be a okay. uh, kind of like Esperanto language? Uh, you know, Back in the 70s, they just finally abandoned trying to make one universal language. where What's our future with this green breakdown?
8: Well, net zero is the issue. As you know, the wealthy nations of the world United States, Europe, Canada, New Zealand, Australia are pushing for a net zero carbon dioxide emissions by the year 2050. And what they want to do is get rid of all of our coal, oil, and natural gas, uh, replace it with wind, solar, and biofuels, and capture whatever emissions, so-called carbon dioxide capture and storage, uh, that we can't stop from emitting. Uh, but this is a uh, This is beyond a reach out goal. This is literally an impossibility. It's not going to occur. So Green Breakdown talks about the energy transition uh, with power plants, home appliances, electric vehicles, heavy industry, uh, shipping, uh, trucking, aircraft. And it points out that where these things are going to to fall apart. And this push for a transition is gonna give us four problems. The first is higher energy prices. We're already seeing that electricity blackouts, we're seeing that as well. Uh, Less freedom for people because they're trying to force them to put in heat pumps in place of their gas stoves, uh, adopt uh, electric vehicles in place of gasoline cars. And then these, uh, these energy shocks like Europe has gone through in the last two years. So those are the things that are going to increasingly be problems. And people are going to demand a return to low cost, reliable energy, they are going to push back and we are seeing some early signs uh, of the uh, green breakdown, if you will.
1: <laughs> well, that's that's all good news. Uh, well, we have to take a break. When we come back, I'd like to ask you about the farmers' protests in Europe and the EU yeah. backing, down, and also the counting climate deaths. That's something I've been fascinated with since COVID in and Martin. And- in 2020. This is Unleashed with Mark Morano on TNT. We're talking to Steve Gorham, author of the new book, Green Breakdown, The Coming Renewable Energy Failure. And he's the executive director of the Climate Science Coalition of America. We'll be right back after these messages with more.
0: De-weaponizing weather with reality and perspective.
4: I'm sure you've been following Mark Morano and of course the climate trial of the century where Dr. Michael Mann was suing Mark Stein in any case that is going to the jury. Now there are a couple of things that have popped up in this trial which are very interesting. First of all, out of the 22 possibilities for this so-called hockey stick, only two of them showed the hockey stick. Both of those were fudging the hockey stick. And what did I mean by fudging? Well, they claim that the medieval warm period did not exist, which if Dr. Mann was actually a meteorologist and looked at the weather, he should know that you can't just have regionalized warming in one area of the world. If it's warm in one area of the world, it's going to be warm in other areas of the world. I think I've explained this before. Now, another thing is that there's some interesting things coming out that may open Dr. Mann up to be sued, especially by Dr. Judith Curry. Now, I've always wondered why Dr. Curry did not go after Michael Mann because he has really said some disgusting things about her, including spreading false rumors about her sex life. So there were a whole bunch of little other things that came out. Don't know what the jury's gonna do. Seems pretty obvious to a normal human being that Mark Stein did not cause Michael Mann any damage, given 12 years later, Michael Mann is a prince among all these climate change people that think that the earth is burning up. This is TNT climate and weather watchdog meteorologist Joe Bastardi asking you to enjoy the weather. It's the only weather you've got. It's been said that when someone you love
7: has Parkinson's, you have Parkinson's. The truth is Parkinson's disease doesn't just affect the diagnosed. It affects everyone who supports and helps care for them. Worldwide, over 10 million people are living with Parkinson's, a neurological disease that affects movement. And with so many places to search for information, it can be difficult to know where to begin. The Parkinson's Foundation has answers, answers for everyone in the fight. We can help you understand the disease, help you find expert care, give you tips for living a better life, Share the latest research, help you find local support, and there's a free helpline you can call. Find your answers and join us in the fight against Parkinson's. To learn more, please go to parkinson.org or call 1-800-4PD-INFO. The Parkinson's Foundation. Better lives together.
0: From wars to censorship to cultural issues, you're with Mark Morano and Unleashed on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Welcome back to
1: Unleashed on TNT with your host, Mark Morano. All right, we're continuing our discussion with Steve Gorham, author of Green Breakdown, The Coming Renewable Energy Failure. Uh, We were just talking, uh, you were just talking about the coming green breakdown. Are we witnessing that in Europe? You had farmer protests uh, well, we've had them in the Netherlands since, you know, a couple last year or the year before, but in Poland and Germany and France at the headquarters of the EU in Brussels, and it looks like the EU has even blinked toward the farmers and they're now abandoning their 30% net zero uh, uh, fertilizer, I guess, restrictions that were being imposed on the farmer. And they're also facing methane restrictions, which affects their cattle and meat production. So what's going on in Europe? And is that part of this green breakdown? Are, are we winning? in other words, is the, is the net zero taking a major hit led by these farmers fight with these fighting farmers?
8: Yeah, we'll see if that happens. Uh, and, and again, as you say, methane and nitrous oxide uh, especially nitrous oxide, a, a greenhouse gas uh, restrictions in Netherlands, in Germany and France and the farmers have come and blocked all the roads and and done a bunch of things. They even, even want them in Netherlands to reduce their dairy cattle herds and a bunch of other things all because they think it will help the planet to stop from warming. Uh, that is part of it. That um, we have some other things going on too. Uh, of course, we mentioned the, uh, the speed bump for, for EVs. We were also having problems with, with the wind turbines. About half of the uh, wind turbine companies have pulled off the, out of the projects for East Coast offshore wind in the United States. Uh, they recently had a onshore wind auction in the United Kingdom and had no bidders. The price was too low. Unfortunately, uh, England is going to raise the price 70 percent and rebid. Uh, we just had uh, um, a Siemens Wind was was bailed out by the German government to something like 10 billion euros uh, because they couldn't make money. Uh, the cost, the high cost of interest rates has has uh, really put a crimp into these uh, these wind projects. Uh, but there are other indicators as well. If you look at the stock uh, markets, uh, there's a thing called the Renix Index, R E N I X X, which has uh, been in place for about 20 years. It's it's a renewable energy index. takes the top uh, 28 or 30 renewable co- companies around the world. That has been falling for three years now. Uh, you look at uh, at many many wind companies. Their stock prices are down. If you look at these uh, vehicle uh, charging companies, their stock prices are down. Despite a uh, all-time high amount of uh, of government money going into these things, uh, the the economics and physics are not allowing these companies to do what uh, what the energy transition wants them to do to build to build uh, industries and businesses. So I think this is a start of of a bunch of these problems. We also have some places like like Texas is talking about putting in more natural gas systems a uh, number of other places because they've had they've had blackout issues. Uh, so I think we're going to have a rebound on, on a
1: number of these, but it's going
8: to take many, many years.
1: Yeah, the Inflation Reduction Act, they had an article in the past week, um, their Biden administration is now spending beyond what Congress auth- authorized, and they're looking at up to a trillion dollars. And a lot of these projects are going in perpetuity. So even if as you say the windmills companies are, are abandoning it, the money's baked in our system for a decade or more to just keep pumping yep. money. They're always going to be able to find some company willing willing to accept that federal cash. And even if they fail, they just, they can actually form a new board of directors, get more cash. Tell me a little bit about the problem with like the Inflation Reduction Act financing yeah. all of these projects, regardless of whether they succeed or fail. And they actually had one of the spokesmen actually said, uh, one of the green energy spokesman just said, "Oh, it doesn't matter if we fail, we'll just keep trying. And they have endless <laughs> up to a trillion US taxpayer dollars. How does that distort? How can green, in other words, simple question, how does green energy fail when it's baked into the system that they're going to keep getting uh, billions and ultimately a trillion dollars?
8: Yeah, there's, there's just an arrogance of government nowadays, and most of it is funding, funneling into these green systems. Uh, during the Obama administration, we were spending about $15 billion a year in subsidies for wind, solar, and other green. Under President Trump, it went down to an, about 8 But under the Inflation Reduction Act, it's up over $25 billion a year now, and, and that's authorized like $40 or $50 billion in subsidies a year. And so we have whole industries that, that would not exist uh, without government subsidies. One of these uh, are these carbon dioxide capture pipelines that they're talking about in the Midwest, uh, where uh, the ethanol companies want to take car- capture carbon dioxide, pump it through pump line, uh, pipelines in North Dakota. Uh, there are billions and billions involved in that, and there's a big battle going on with the farmers. Another one is this idea of green hydrogen, which is just, just crazy. Uh, uh, hydrogen today there is no hydrogen fuel industry today it's not used for fuel anywhere except for forklifts and a few little hydrogen cars uh, the the hydrogen industry is worth about hundred billion dollars but all of that is created on site as a feedstock or a chemical element for things like ammonia uh production of uh methanol and and for uh, direct reduced iron uh, they use it as a reducing agent So you have a 100 billion industry there. Uh, All that is produced uh, from natural gas. The green hydrogen industry has a value of about $1 billion today. But governments have pledged 280 billion in subsidies to grow this $1 billion billion a year industry (laughs) of green hydrogen. So just another industry that would not exist without without, uh, the
1: fear of man-made warming and vast government subsidies. Incredible. All right. Well, you had a recent column, which I thought was fantastic, about cl- counting climate change deaths. What is yes. that all? Tell us
8: what that's well, about. As, as you as you mentioned, when we had COVID-19, you could go, go and look every day online and see the deaths by city, by state, by country, and the, the number of cases. And it really, you know, it helped governments promote things like vaccines and policies and various things and, and strike fear into the population. Well, uh, former uh, Secretary of State Hillary Clinton has said this is what she wants to do with climate deaths. She wants to start counting these daily, and uh, she uh, spoke about this at, at COP uh, uh, 28. And she has uh, and claims there are 600,000 uh, uh, deaths uh, from uh, from extreme heat every year, but of course she doesn't. She doesn't. Uh, talk about uh, how heat is better for people and it really is. We have many more, many, many studies that show there are more people that get sick, uh, flu and, and other diseases during cold months, uh, more people that die during cold months. Uh, and a number of people like uh, uh, Bjorn Lomborg have said that uh, if it warms a little bit, we'll have, we'll have fewer people die. But nevertheless, that's that's the next big thing. As a matter of fact, there was a paper that, that was that came out recently uh this was from the uh a new england journal of medicine where scientists claimed that there were 250,000 people that are dying every year due to climate change and but you look at the deaths he counts uh he counts diarrheal disease and he counts malaria <laughs> right.
0: and
8: even count even counts heart attack deaths as climate deaths so you know if you can count a heart attack death as a climate death you can count anything And that may be what we're in for. We'll just have to see.
1: Yeah. I mean, you remember CNN, MS, they had the COVID daily death count on the TV. So will people be dying with climate or because there was a uh, 2020, I think it was out of Australian university. uh, They wanted to add climate change as a cause of death, to death certificates. And in 2021, you had a doctor in British Columbia, the first doctor to medically diagnose a patient is suffering from climate change he actually wrote that in his thing well continuing along the scene right before dubai you had 200 medical journals led by the british medical journal urging the world health organization to, to declare climate change a, a international public health threat what yep. is that all about in the sense of wh- why would the world health organization be legislating climate and there's talk this will be part of the new pandemic treaty um, is this just a case of merging climate into the public health sphere? Because public health can use fear a lot better than climate has been able to, thus far able to succeed.
8: Well, I think there's an element of of emergency that they want people to declare. Both uh, uh, nationally in the United States, people have asked for that, and then globally, as soon as you have an emergency, then you can you can go around existing laws and you can do a lot of things. I think President Biden even, um, I, I'm trying to remember if it's the, the Defense Production Act. I think so.
1: That's uh, one he of the just wartime yeah.
8: Yeah, he yeah. authorized a couple hundred a couple hundred million dollars for heat pumps as subsidies from from the the Defense Production Act, which which is an emergency act. It's not supposed to be used in regular times. It's supposed to be used in the time of war. And so I think these scientists want everybody to declare it an emergency, which, which would allow governments to go around the standard legislative processes and and push for all of these things. Uh, you know, another interesting thing, if I could talk about deaths is sure. uh, if you if you again, if you look at the actual numbers from from the the EM death system, for example, that tracks tracks deaths globally from disasters. Those are down more than 90 90 percent since the 1920s, and these are droughts and floods and earthquakes and, and many things that are supposed to be caused by climate. Uh, if you look at uh, uh, famine, for example, famine is also down. We used to have about ten, a million people die globally every decade, and now that's down to to maybe a couple hundred thousand every decade worldwide. So famines are down 98 percent. Everything in the last hundred years has improved, despite a little bit of uh, a moderate warming that we've had. So the idea that climate is causing more deaths is just a very very tough case to to put forward
1: well all right i guess we're we're almost out of time here we have like a minute left but uh here's the question children today there's been an article saying that kids are actually uh, one poll showed them growing more skeptical uh what do you see young people uh, as today are they foot soldiers in the climate alarmist battle or do you think there's a a movement Uh, i think it was a recent poll yahoo was reporting on it uh where young people are growing a little bit more skeptical if true that's a good sign but what would you attribute that to and what do you think young people uh how how are they being manipulated in this climate debate
8: well i I hope that would be the case of course we have greta Thunberg, the teenager from sweden who's been leading the charge we have uh young folks uh uh, gluing themselves in museums in front of paintings and and throwing things on paintings and and now we have young people saying that uh, they don't want to have kids because of climate it's very very sad uh, what's going on? And of course, all of our uh, universities and high schools and many schools are indoctrinating kids that humans are hurting the climate. But you know, young people tend to be activists. They like environmental issues. They've been doing that for many, many years. Um, and uh, we just have to see that, wait for this to turn around and, and see it develop.
1: All right. Well, thank you so much, Steve Gorm, author of the new book "Green Breakdown: The Coming Renewable Energy Failure." Also the executive director of the Climate Science Coalition of America. Thank you for joining Unleashed on TNT again, Steve. Thank you, Mark. Stay warm. (laughs) All right. Thank you. And we'll see you next time on Unleashed with Mark Morano on TNT.